Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Kai, and we're both boy mums navigating the tween and teenage years, discussing nutrition, exercise, midlife, lifestyle, and more. And this is the Midlife Munching and Movement Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Midlife Munching and Movement Podcast. Today, we are talking about the binge and restrict cycle with the guilt and the shame that comes along with that. So I'm going to ask Kyra, what is the most common thing that you and your clients talk about with this? Hi, Jen. Um, So the most common thing about this, I think probably... I think guilt and shame comes up a lot. This is kind of like my bread and butter work. Like this is one of the most talked about topics with my clients to date is that most people that I work with will have at some point during their life yo-yo dieted, being caught in a cycle of binging and restricting um, and have a lifetime of shame and guilt brought on them from diet culture etc so I don't know if there's one particular thing that comes up more than anything but it is certainly one of the biggest topics that we spend a lot of time working on for individuals Mm. for sure for you when a client comes to you Mm. how do you identify that it is often they are stuck in a binge and restrict cycle? So often when women in midlife come to work with me for um, fat loss, weight gain goals or health improvement goals, what we will first start to talk about is what they have tried and what they have experienced in the past. And once we start to talk about diets that they've done before or beliefs around food it then becomes very obvious that there's a lot of guilt or a lot of shame or a lot of unhelpful beliefs around food and then from there that's where we can really delve into where these beliefs come from and then hopefully try and work at it I think at this point though before like we go any further it is really important to different differentiate between someone who is stuck in a yo-yo dieting cycle of binge and restrict and is feeling Mm -hmm. those feelings of guilt and shame and someone who has binge eating disorder which is mm-hmm. totally different. Um, that is um, a recognised eating disorder um, and not to be confused with the type of behaviours that we're going to be discussing today. So if anyone is listening and they are experiencing binge eating where it's really problematic, they're eating until they're vomiting um, and they they feel they need some help, then reach out to us so that we can point you in the right direction and perhaps refer you out to a dietitian who can help or take a look at the Beat Eating Disorders website, which is beateatingdisorders.org.uk um, for some help. There's lots of really good advice on there. So if you are suffering with um, disordered eating, um, please take a look at that or reach out to us and we will help. So I just thought I'd just clear that up right at the beginning because I think if... But 
you know, the title of this might attract people who are struggling a lot more than what we're going to be the discussing average. today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would probably go on to just describe the binge and restrict cycle mm. as more of a a behavior pattern where you really restrict what you're eating for a period of time and then you will have a no holds barred kind of big feast mm. um and not or what you would I hate the term but cheat day mm. um where you overeat and that is the key point I think as well where you overeat yeah. in that period of time yeah. yeah yeah absolutely that's a good way of explaining it um so usually what happens is that we will a client will identify that they need to make a change in their diet for whatever reason that may be and they will identify behaviors that have become unhelpful in them achieving whatever goal that is so for the purpose of this conversation let's just focus it on fat loss because it's Mm -hmm. a simple way of discussing it so if a client's looking to work on losing body fat they will have identified that there are certain types of foods that they are overeating now straight away this can indicate some of the unhelpful beliefs that we hold around food that have been perpetuated by diet culture and Mm -hmm. you know we work on online and we see a lot of misinformation being given out don't we um and social media is a cesspit (laughs) (laughs) I think if you watch Kyra or I on social media you will see us share something daily and say no (laughs) (laughs) this is not true (laughs) this is not true (laughs) I think now as well it's a great it's it's getting so much better because there are a lot of people who are like-minded with us that are sharing (laughs) videos and information that is getting rid of some of this in a really fun and engaging way yeah definitely yeah definitely um and you know so some let's talk about some of the things that you've seen that you know you've seen online like diet myths and things like that that you think have been unhelpful for people or when we were talking about this with our um followers on social media they gave us a few things that they'd come across didn't they that they thought was stupid advice yeah, I mean, I think the most obvious is um, the 1,200 calorie diet um, where you only eat 1,200 calories, mm. which is basically a toddler's allowance for the day. It's not good. Um, there's the obvious teas and detox teas that come al- along. They, um, there is one where you are supposed to drink it in the morning mm. to help... Um, regulate your metabolism for the day mm-hmm. which is not true but okay no. <laughs> um imagine if there was a tea though that could like, imagine reg- that would be amazing <laughs> and I wish oh. I had the recipe <laughs> make millions <laughs> you probably wouldn't sell it though I wouldn't drink um, it I don't like tea. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um one of the funniest ones that I have heard recently, I think I probably sent it to you, was um, how you shouldn't be having sunflower oil oh. um, with with things because that can 
cause inflammation oh, post now which is tickery it causes inflammation mm -hmm. in the gut um that was probably the funniest one that I've heard recently and then a client let me just find it her sent through how um she followed the 5-2 diet which can actually be useful some for some things but on the day where she was following the two part of the diet so for anyone that doesn't know the 5-2 diet is a, a tool a way to use intermittent fasting so you spend five days eating at your maintenance calories and then two days at lower end of the calories yeah um five to eight hundred calories a day isn't it on those yeah days. yeah yeah and it isn't a long-term tool that we would use I have used it uh when I was working with the doctor because as I, I think I said on the previous podcast, it can be helpful mm -hmm. when you're working a long shift where you can't eat to just counteract that feeling of guilt for not eating. Yeah. It gives you that space to address that. So that's why um, I would use that. But um, back to this client, on the days where she was doing the two, like say the two days where she was eating five to eight, 100 calories um she was also not allowed to eat carbohydrates yes it only had to be protein this so, <laughs> this diet was fat. invented by I, we won't say the person's name just in case we, well, we could see what we're gonna get <laughs> Five pound fifteen in a bag of well sweets. See me, I tell you. Um, but we won't. We still won't say their name. But it's somebody that isn't very popular in our household. Um, and um, and he invented this particular diet um, as a a tool for managing type two diabetes. And mm -hmm. um, so that's why the reduction of carbohydrate is it, mm -hmm. it, it does tickle me a little bit. I understand the link between, um, obviously I understand the link between carbohydrate and diabetes, but it's not very helpful in this situation. Um, no. And the, the, <laughs> the thing I, th I would really like to like clarify is the whole restriction of, of carbohydrate. And Please, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> because we know that, the main fuel source for the body is carbohydrate. We know this to be a fact. It's the body's preferred fuel. It's the easiest one to use. When we eat any carbohydrate, it's converted in our body to glucose. And then it's used for like fuel, essentially. So it's used to help us be more active. Any that isn't used is converted into something called glycogen, which is then stored in the liver and in the muscles. And then when we are out of fuel, the body will take it out of those storage places and reconvert it into um, glucose, sugar, and use it for fuel. So it's just a really, really efficient system that the body has designed, <laughs> evolved, um, and utilizes all of the time in order to keep us going. What I think the most interesting part of this is, is that the brain takes 20% of our daily energy source mm. and it only takes it in glucose. So on those days where you feel like I don't have a brain. Yes, you will crave. Address, 
address it like have you had any carbohydrates have you had any carbohydrates yeah you will but you will naturally crave sugary foods on those days so Mm. particularly intensive with the brain you will probably find that you do crave carbohydrate um that there is a fail safe in the body for this because the body can only use that the brain can only use that as its fuel source so there is a fail safe and the fail safe is a ketone so a ketone is released when there is no available glucose. So you've let's imagine you're on a really restrictive diet. You're on the 5-2 diet. You're on your day of eight, 500, 800 calories. You're not eating any carbohydrate and you've exhausted your stores. So on those days, you probably shouldn't be exercising. Yeah. 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 You should not, you shouldn't be exercising on the days where you're eating so few calories because you're going to need to use the stores from your liver and your muscles let's just say you've now run out so the body needs to still fuel the brain or we're not we're not going to be working very well if the brain's not powered um and so it'll release a ketone and the ketone then is able to convert other fuel sources into a carbohydrate in order to continue to fuel the brain and that is where the keto diet comes from I was just going to say, so on the days, that is why you're told to eat only protein and fats, because Mm -hmm. it can, in theory, put you into ketosis. Exactly. I think it's probably another podcast where we talk about the the ketone diet. But um, (laughs) Well, um, do you know, we laugh, but the keto diet can be really helpful for some people. No, it can. It can. I was... I, I will but... explain why I was laughing because I, I'm not I do think it can be useful um but when it's done properly so yeah. the popular diet mm-hmm. book Following that shows on you Instagram yeah that shows you yeah. how to do it blah 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 I think is it I forget the exact figure now but is it something like less than five percent of people actually get into ketosis yeah because they they don't get because they they tip themselves over the edge of the carbohydrates very slightly yeah yeah and and the key is the exact amount of carbohydrates that you have yeah and also the sticks that they sell online that you test your urine with aren't very accurate yeah no so, you, so that's you, lots why of people believe they're in ketosis, but they're not. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a really, really, really hard place it's to really get. Really hard. And it's I all... and I think that's really important to point out. I wasn't laughing because I I think it's a terrible diet. I think it can be a useful tool. I just understand that not many people. I. It's not going to phrase it like this. The information that we are fed. Mm. as to how to achieve ketosis is not always accurate i'm going to phrase it like that that's a great way to phrase it and also if you are in ketosis there are so many other things that you need to be careful and mindful of like your electrolyte balance because it's it can actually be quite dangerous if you get dehydrated when you're in Mm -hmm. ketosis um and so that's why people experience keto flu have you heard of keto flu no, so I haven't actually. Yeah, so when you're in actual ketosis, you will get symptoms of keto flu. And so you'll get all the general symptoms of flu. So, you know, you'll get really fatigued, muscle aches and pains, etc. And that's a sign that actually you need to make sure that you are having an electrolyte 
because your body can't balance your electrolytes without carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that's important is that, you know, carbohydrate and fluid are synonymous with each other. So for every gram of carbohydrate that we consume, we can, can, we can hold up to four grams of water. Mm. So if you're not eating carbohydrates, then you're not holding water in your body either. So that's another reason why when you go on the keto diet, the scales drop quickly. Yeah. And the minute and you start you... eating carbs again. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then that does then put people in that cycle of, well, I'll just go back. So something that I always say to, um, to is very common for me to say to clients is they'll always say, well, I did this diet and it worked. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out that, yes, that diet worked for that period of time that you were on it yeah but if it was sustainable it would be a way of life for you it wouldn't be classed as a diet yeah and um, so straight away if somebody then has carbohydrate let's just stick on the keto if you if you've cut carbohydrates out you watch the scales drop dramatically for all of the reasons that we've just explained also you've cut a massive like part of your calorie intake out so mm-hmm. it is a calorie controlled diet, whichever way you dress mm-hmm. it up. You then eat carbohydrate, which causes the body to hold water like it should do, which is a perfectly natural part of our bodily process. And the scales go up. What happens then? People instantly feel guilt and shame because they failed yet another restrictive Absolutely. Diet. Yeah. So then exactly. they binge eat carbohydrates yeah. before they go back to restricting them. And so yeah. you can see how it's a great way of the explaining cycle the binge and restrict cycle and how we yo-yo with these things that are not necessarily sustainable long-term. Yeah. And I think that's a really good way to put it and a really easy way to understand that actually when you eat the carbohydrates, you'll probably feel great joy. <laughs> like you will, my, your, your body, because your body's sorry, like... Sorry, is my bias showing? <laughs> the crisps <laughs> your, your body is instantly like i've got some carbs thank you so much i don't know why your body's american but um it will be like so happy that you have given it its favorite energy source mm-hmm. like the one thing that it's been craving it will be so happy that it's then going to be like i'm going to just try and keep hold of this for a little bit longer yeah but then you're going to step on the scales and you're going to go ugh. Mm. and then you're going to feel so guilty Mm. for the pleasure that you've just had yeah and I think that's a part of it and certainly what I know both you and I try to do is to help women break the cycle but in a way where they feel in control and also understand that food is joy like yes. I would describe my love language as food. Yeah. I know that that's not technically on the love language list, but if you want to we get to me, bring me food. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I show people I love them by food. I will make you anything. But um, no, I don't do anything like put the bins out or clean okay. toilets or anything like just, just literally it's just, just if it's food. food related I'm there <laughs> <laughs> um and I think what we when we look at diet culture 
and what we are stuck in, particularly um, with women of our generation. Yeah. Is that whole, I think you touched on it previously about um, boomers, mm. which would be our parents' generation, where yeah. they came out of a big recession. So there wasn't a lot of money and you were told to eat a lot of food, like eat all of the food on your plate. So what happened was, I think what like whenever we look at how our eating behavior, it's really important to look at how we've evolved. So mm. the like humans evolved. So we go all the way back to humans evolved you know, evolution of man, where we evolved and we lived through and survived through famines. And so our body is really clever at managing that and it's found a way of storing um fuel for future um and now we live in a society where food's abundant yes. and, yeah, <laughs> and it's hyper palatable and it's easily accessible and we can overconsume it but alongside that we have to consider what's happening in our own recent history and mm -hmm. so our parents and our parents parents may be the people so like for example I often mention my mum in the podcast my mum was born just at the end of the war um, and so rationing was a thing when she was born so her family, her brothers and sisters and her would have been part of a generation where there would have been social conditioning around food that said you will be grateful for the food that is on your plate and you will clear mm -hmm. that plate because you don't know how much food we're going to get in the next ration but also you can't eat more than is yeah given to you because then you're greedy so it's it's really interesting when you start to look back through the things that have happened throughout our own very short history most recent history and how the body and the mind both work together because this is something else that we often talk about the body and the mind as separate things mm -hmm, but actually mm -hmm. we're just one. united yeah, yeah. Um, so all and, the time. <laughs> and so we've got the physiology of our bodies that are prepared to pre protect us from famine and now our body doesn't know the difference between a diet and a famine so every time mm -hmm. you take it into a diet and you restrict your calories Mm -hmm. body thinks okay we're now in a famine absolutely fine and it will ramp up your hunger hormones and it will in it will heighten the flavor of food it will heighten the dopamine response in the brain the reward center of the brain when we eat food and so the first time you have that food that you've told yourself you can't have when you're restricting and that could be anything so it could be yeah. you may have given up you may have gone low fat you may have gone low carb you may have said I'm not going to have chocolate you may you know it could be anything at all the minute you have that you're you've lit the touch paper almost the body goes aha send mm -hmm. send them into overdrive we need to recoup as much energy as we can to store it for the next famine because we're not sure if there'll be another one okay we know it's a diet but the body doesn't yeah and then but I think that's the thing isn't it is that like you have to take logic out of it yeah because yeah. your body doesn't understand the logic your body doesn't know and then we've got all of these people going why haven't I got any willpower yeah why can't I stick to a diet why am I such a failure all of these questions that they're asking themselves and beating themselves up about and feeling all of these terrible feelings of shame and guilt and actually it's just biology. Mm. So some of the words that I hear often are, oh, I've got no motivation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not determined enough. 
and I can't be consistent Mm -hmm. and I've got no willpower. And what I often start with is firstly, a diet for your body will be stress. And your body doesn't know the difference between physiological and psychological stress. It just knows it's stressed. Mm -hmm. So like you say, it doesn't know when it's getting the food again. It doesn't understand that. So you can try to separate your mind from your body as much as you want, but you're a unit. Your body is a unit that works in conjunction to keep you safe. And I think that's one thing I always say to clients is when you acknowledge that your body is just trying to keep you safe, you can understand how to help it because what we often do is we bully our bodies and we bully ourselves and we say, I can't do this. I can't do that because you're almost putting yourself in a fight against yourself. Mm. You're not going to win it because your body will do whatever it needs to do to keep you safe. So as soon as you acknowledge that you are one unit, it's like a marriage, you know, work with it. You want to fight against the problem, not your brain and your body. So then we look at um, the motivation. Well, let's be honest. Life is about enjoying yourself in moderation and moderation is not something if you've been taught if you're in a binge and restrict cycle and it's not you sexy. are it's not great no, you can't market moderation no moderation is the equivalent of um you know being in a consistent nice normal relationship it's boring it's good for you but societally it's boring you know or the perception is that it's boring that's what I mean thank you for clearing that up because I didn't mean that it was boring it's actually it's quite nice (laughs) (laughs) um sorry the perception Um, is that it's boring and it's not you know like I use the word sexy like people want a quick instant fix absolutely they want everything to work we live in a society where everything happens immediately and all of the diets that you've mentioned at the beginning they all work they all work they all but you can't be a short period of time exactly which then brings us on to consistency Mm -hmm. so imagine if you put yourself in a place where being consistent was easy because you enjoyed what you were doing which brings you back to moderation and then when you look at determination, you hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm just not determined to it enough. I haven't worked hard enough. I need to commit more. But what if the determination isn't there because you're starving? Yes. What you're starving your needs. Yeah. yeah. Like if we said to you, don't drink alcohol, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say alcohol because that is something that comes up often. And it's probably the subject of another podcast, but I'm going to say alcohol. Most people, if you said to them, don't drink for a month, the majority of people would be like, mm, no, I can't do that. I like a Friday night drink. Yeah. Which is fine. But then equate that to what I just said about enjoyment of life. Mm. You enjoy that thing. Mm. It only becomes a problem for you when it's too much. 
yeah so it's not then not being able to give it up for a month isn't isn't a problem per se because you're only no. enjoying it on a friday night so yeah. when you equate that to food yeah why is having a pizza on a friday night bad for you exactly it's not at all it's once a week it's one meal if that's what you really enjoy you should be able to enjoy it and i think that's what i try to work with the most in a mindset perception perspective with my clients is that you can still enjoy a really balanced lifestyle and you can still mm. enjoy foods without restriction. There's a di- very different thing between restricting something and limiting it. Yes. They're yes. two completely different words. So if you restrict something, it's it's off the menu. You can't have it. There's rules around it. And then mm-hmm. there's feelings of guilt and shame when you do have it. If you limit something, it's still on the table. Yeah. Yeah, you can have it in moderation, and that's a completely different mindset that we work on. One of the one of the things that I will always remember, one of the conversations that I had with a client once was based on a very famous diet club. In I don't know if it started in the UK. It's international. It goes by two letters. <laughs> um, Message me later. <laughs> um, and we started working on on improving and creating a balanced diet and she was she said so I can actually have cereal for breakfast and then egg on toast for my lunch if I wanted to and I was like yeah why and she was like because I can't have that something to do with you can't have cereal and bread in the same day without it yeah I don't it was completely confusing to me and I was like, yeah, and she'd done this diet for so many years and not achieved it because ultimately it's not meant to be achieved. It's meant to keep people coming back. That's how it's profitable. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, of course, if you want cereal for your breakfast and then you want cheese on toast, egg on toast, a sandwich or something, of course you can. And she actually cried. Oh. She actually cried and she she achieved a goal and she said it had just been transformative because she had had these rules for so long that... If she'd had milk, she couldn't have cheese. <laughs> yeah. And if she'd had cereal, she couldn't have bread and vice versa. And she'd had these rules for so long that she'd got stuck in this rut of not really enjoying any of her food and not really losing any weight. Yeah. I, the, it, for the people listening, the look of confusion on Jen's face right now, because <laughs> I know there'll be people listening going... Kai, I know exactly what diet you're what, talking like, about. But Jen is really reacted? confused. Yeah, I've never <laughs> I've never heard of this. I'm gonna yeah. be honest, I don't think I've heard not it's certainly no, I don't think I've had experience with that. I need to know. You'll have to message me later. I I'm, I'm really shocked at that. Yeah. And confused. Because but they're whole it, grains. Like Yeah. Yeah. Like real like is why? It, do you think that part of that, um, and it ties into what we were saying earlier about um, the lack of food previously and the abundance of food now? Yeah. Foods now are so much more, I mean, they're just tasty, aren't they? Like, hyper so hyper palatable. Like, yeah. we want more all the time. They're Let's be honest. To yes. make you eat more. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think that part of that diet is that 
um I can't think of my words sorry I'm having real brain fog today um (laughs) do you think that part of it is because the foods now are so much more calorific than previously so the the foods that are more hyper palatable and that we're going to crave and the ones that are over processed I think they call it ultra processed don't they and then um are so much more available they're the ones that they're targeting when they say things like you can't have cereal and bread in a day no I think they're using it as a tool to limit calorie intake um I this particular company manufactures food right um, and sells it and um so yeah it's definitely not that they have an issue with processed food because they they have a huge brand in and and um product range so it's definitely not that i think it is just a case of that they're trying to limit the amount of calories they that they promote vegetables and potatoes and and mm-hmm. things like that so then from that perspective it's you know i don't really have a problem with it but um but yeah there's some of the this is where I'm, what i'm trying to say is this is where the confusion comes from for people because essentially it's quite a healthy diet in many ways but mm-hmm. they're being told that some of the healthiest types of food in that you can actually eat mm-hmm. have to be limited and then yeah. this is where people get confused and stupid diet rules come into play and then people can't stick to those rules because they're not realistic and then we're in just this shame and guilt cycle all over again mm. and the other thing that I wanted to mention is that when people fall into this cycle of restricting then then binging and feeling that they failed there's a new term on the block of food addiction and this this, I mean I, I don't want to take away anybody's feelings if you feel that's happening to you then your feelings we can say your feelings are valid however it's a very difficult thing to say that we are addicted to a substance that we require to mm-hmm. live. So if we look at other foods that call other foods, other things that cause addiction, like cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, we can live without them. We can go cold turkey. Yeah, not mm-hmm. a problem. But you mm-hmm. can't stop eating. No. I think there. A couple of things came up for me. Uh, I think that's where a lot there's this new idea that you can be addicted to sugar. Yeah. Um, and that that the sugar is as addicted. dangerous as cocaine. Yeah. yeah. Not. I'm not promoting any drugs there, but that's the one I've heard of. Um, and then also I used to do a lot of work with bariatric surgery clients so before their operations they would be prescribed um around my local area we've had the milk diet but essentially it's a low calorie diet it's a liver shrinking diet yes Yeah. yeah um it, which is essentially no more than 800 calories for yeah. most so it's that five to 800 calorie it is a very short-term fix anything between two weeks and six weeks for a client before they go in for surgery yeah and only to be carried out under the guidance of a yeah. registered dietitian yeah yeah so 
I came in as just support because the dietitian had given it and I was um, working with the client after the surgery Mm -hmm. on a rehab um, basis. So I was not giving out anything, but it was just support. Support. Um, And those are the clients that I would say food addiction applies. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of it, and I think that they would all agree, was psychological and those guilt shame feelings just being suppressed and then worked on and then suppressed and then worked on so they very much fell into the category of quote unquote I tried everything yeah um the thing that they had often not been shown how to try is coming out of the guilt and shame cycle yeah um because quite honestly and it and it is bluntly honest from my experience only they're not often shown compassion by a lot of people yeah. um I think it is so easy for okay. trainers and nutritionists and I'm not tarring us all with the same brush so we've you know there are amazing people out there but there, there is a real ease when somebody overweight walks through your door and the comments and things that I have heard some trainers say and have had to pull them up on because they're disgusting. I can't think that I would say it about anybody, let alone somebody that was really struggling. But um, there is that whole, well, you shouldn't have got yourself into that state mentality. And I think it's very hard because often people that have been in that, it hasn't happened overnight. No, and it's happened for a reason. Yeah, and there's always a trauma. Fat phobia that we have in society and and diet culture perpetuates that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's so unhelpful. And again, it creates yet another cycle within mm. itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a, such a complex situation and a totally mm. different situation again to um the majority of yeah absolutely. clients that we would work with yeah um, in a coaching setting for fat loss I think that's why for that term to be thrown around yeah for me it feels very blase mm. yeah it's and it's dangerous disem- yeah it's disempowering for a yep. start for many people it's also massively unfair to people suffering with addiction mm-hmm. mm. um yeah I have a lot of problems with that particular statement I feel like it's a conversation we probably need to have off air before, <laughs> <laughs> before we discuss it in public <laughs> um so that kind of goes along when you come back to the food rules mm. that we look at. What are some things that you have heard that are just bizarre? Oh, like the, honestly. Or did you grow up with any? Because mm. I, th- I, I think that's really interesting. Like I definitely had the 
clean your plate one, but it, it depended who I was with. So like my grandma on my dad's side was what I would call a real lady. Mm-hmm. And she was very much like, you never eat a full plate, leave something on it so you don't look like a pig type person. <laughs> Whereas... That's really unhelpful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas my mum, uh, on my mum's side, it's like, if it's on your plate, you eat it. And I could complain about the amount of anything on my plate. Uh, you are not to leave the table until you've eaten it. I mean, why did you go with that? I mean, straight away, this takes me into why people struggle with food. Because like I mentioned earlier on in the conversation, so much of our behavior around food is because of our socialization. You've had two conflicting <laughs> messages there straight away. <laughs> And I guarantee at some point in your life, whilst you were being told to completely clear your plate, you were also being told, but don't put on too much weight. Like, honestly, we just can't win. And this is where people's feelings of shilt, shilt, shame and guilt, we could could start a new word, shilt. Shilt. Um, (laughs) Shame and guilt come from because, like, they're trying to fit into all of these different beliefs and rules that, are just completely unnecessary and somebody they belong to somebody else not even mm. Mm. um you know and it's even if we link that in with the the food addiction conversation we've just had all of these things if you can't adhere to them make you believe there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with you yeah nine times what out if, of ten what if you just believed that actually you're okay the way that you are yeah so I um have uh, this tool that I I call future me um that I often use and um I find it personally to be like quite a success particularly in the binge and restrict cycle um where women come and they're so upset that they haven't succeeded and that's quote unquote for people that can't see me um that they then get so caught up in their mind and they're just bullying themselves again yeah and and feeling you know and then when you do suggest some things there's always a um counteraction as to why that wouldn't work yeah so then with future me, we take the present completely out of it. And I, I do believe like a lot of coaches use it in, in a way that they'll do like, what is your perfect day? So for me, I use it in a, what if, what do you look like in your mind? How does your life look? What do you want? Like one and, year from now or? Um, I we do you know like the smart goals yes yeah so like when you have the long term I tend to start at five years because once you give me that picture of what you want in five years I can help you break that down yeah and whereas listening smart goals she means specific measurable achievable realistic and time bound and then you build different smaller goals until you get to the end point based on that criteria yeah and the reason that I go as far as five years is because you're not attached 
to that and it's it's so often unrealistic in your mind yeah that you can identify it to a different person so for example I um had a client recently who is going through that um very much at your stage like her little boy is not quite so little is starting to get his own life is going off and living it and she's like don't like my job don't see my friends don't feel comfortable having sex with my husband don't like the way I look don't really have any routine and so has that real loss of identity so when we sat down and we spoke about like what do you love it was very hard for her to say these are the things that I love um because she hasn't spent the time thinking about that she could do those things if that makes sense so then all she did was and she had like a week to kind of do it she didn't need a week in the end it took about a day um but she identified like what her relationship with her husband would look like what her relationship with her body would look like so she could have that relationship with her husband because yeah. their their actual relationship don't get me wrong I don't want it to think I'm saying it's a bad relationship it wasn't it was a very good relationship but her relationship with her body and the way she felt with herself meant that she couldn't reflect how she felt in the relationship if that makes sense that's that's a really common thing women come to me with Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is a really important thing to bring up is that we do as women want to feel wanted Mm -hmm. more than just needed. And I think that as you grow older, like that is a really important part of life. And also we, we, not just women, but people in general project how they feel about themselves onto other people. So if you're not absolutely absolutely. comfortable in your own skin, it's very difficult for someone else to feel that way. Yeah. So once you've got that, and then, you know, she went on to what hobbies she liked. um, And then it came right down to what food do you want to eat? And like, this is a person that hadn't had an alcoholic drink for nearly two years. Not because she didn't want to drink. Because if it came to a choice between alcohol and food, she picked the food. And then she felt guilty for picking the food, but she would rather use the calories for food than she would on alcohol. So there were, there were conversations around her alcohol use and could she bring that into her diet because it would get her to one of the things that she wanted to do as part of enjoying her relationship with her husband. Right. Um, Which was just going to the pub on a Sunday, like, Mm go for a walk you know you go for a country walk you stop at a country pub and you have a nice country beer or whatever it is that you drink and then you walk back again like those simple simple tasks for some people ask for a country beer see what they say i'm gonna say where are you actually it's not it's not a bad accent for near where you are though is it really um so yeah it was just and I think that's a a really important part is that when you connect to that future person and you start to look at what you want your life to look at and then we just I literally start with one thing so it might literally be if you're on a diet and you think that you can't eat chocolate I want you to eat one piece of chocolate a day like Mm. you can eat you can buy a big bar and eat that big bar for the week or you can buy a little bar 
it's like the they like 250 grams or something yeah I might just be thinking about the chocolate bar that I love I don't know um but you could eat that and it it like look at the portion size and consider can I eat that portion size and just that and then leave the rest because you have and I do try to encourage leaving it to the end of the day purely because then you feel like you've got something to look forward to so I found like it's kind of tricks your brain a little bit because you've got that thing and and then you you go to bed feeling like you're satisfied because you've had a little bit of what you want Mm. and if we are counting calories then it is set within the calories and it's allowed for but then that's a really useful tool to take out the guilt of having something that you love which then brings you back to you're more likely to succeed because you're doing something you enjoy I want to talk about good and bad quickly here. Okay. Because we tend to, as a society, and again, this comes from diet culture, we Mm -hmm. tend to categorise food as good or bad. Yeah. You know, it's a very term from psychology to say it's very unhelpful but it is like it is really Mm -hmm. unhelpful and psychology is a lot to do with why we why we eat the way we eat um but yeah good and bad food I mean since when did food have a moral value stamped on it yeah exactly you know this is I will often say to people a little bit like it's patronizing isn't it really you look at the back of your packaging and you go look at the barcode or yeah. the nutritional information <laughs> does it say good or bad in there no it doesn't well it doesn't but some food li- food <laughs> labeling now like you you have the green red and orange yeah and while I understand what they're supposed to do for somebody that is struggling with food and mm-hmm. good and bad that can be if they see red it can be a no don't do it yeah um so I think sometimes the food packaging can be slightly unhelpful I understand that however as a dietitian future dietitian (laughs) um I think that is a really useful tool absolutely I love it because it shows people that so the red green and amber are meant to signify um Green, go for it. Have as much of that as you want every day, every yep. day kind of foods. Amber is occasional foods um, that you eat less often than you would a green food. And red being, this is a like a food that you eat the least of. Yeah, so um, have it maybe once and then don't eat it yeah. for the rest of the day. Yeah. yeah, if you've got something with a red sticker on, perhaps have a look at the rest of your food for that day. Is yeah, it, yeah. You, know, you don't want it to be made up of foods with red stickers on. Mainly because the reason I think that this is a good thing is mainly because in the dietetics world, it's useful for treating health conditions. So, for mm. example, yeah, yeah. fats, reducing fats for, for certain health conditions, reducing salt intake, etc. So from that perspective, I I'm, I do like the... No, I do. I and do. it's international. So you can, it doesn't matter yeah. where you go in the world, you can see it. But maybe the colours are wrong. So I see what you're saying because red will always mean bad. <laughs> yeah, and I think, but I also do think that the colours are really useful for engaging children. Yeah. 
So when you, if you want to think about how you're going to change, because when somebody comes to either of us to, to change that binge restrict cycle, if they have children, which most of our clients do, they are going to be helping somebody for the future Mm -hmm. and their ideas about nutrition and what they're eating and how they're eating it and their perceptions of food they're going to be projecting intentionally or unintentionally they're going to be projecting them onto children yes yeah so I think and and it can be really useful and I, I think sometimes it's really handy to get the kids involved when you are trying to change something because it the way that you phrase things to yourself like when you when you say to somebody if your child asked you about that what would you say their answer is always different than if they were to say it to themselves and I know it sounds really ridiculous but I always say to people talk to yourself the way you would talk to your child how do you want your child to react when you say that if your child heard you say that to yourself, how would they feel? Yeah. And it, it might be slightly I don't know, blackmailing, slightly, bribery, you know, unconventional. Mm. But it's helpful because you don't want, ultimately, I'm trying not to swear because my mother will kill me again. Um, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, you do not want to mess your kids up more than you're going to anyway. Yeah. So if you can rephrase something so that it triggers a thought that wh- where they don't have that, I can't have that bad food. Like I, I use um, a sometimes food rather yes. than a bad food. Every These are foods. foods every day sometimes sometimes. occasional yeah Yeah. um so yeah everyday food and sometimes food is a really great tool to use for yourself and for your children um rather than good or bad yeah yeah it's great because you can say oh we've already had some sometimes foods today Mm. you know yeah you you can use it in that way as well so yeah that's a really great one um so you asked me a while ago and we we kind of went off track what are some of the silliest behaviors or food rules that people have had from diets and I've mm-hmm. been trying to think about that while we've been chatting um it's probably a really like great section or opportunity to go into the wait what section with this what wait what because <laughs> As with most things, diet or diet related, I can often see now, knowing the science behind it, where they have come from. Mm-hmm. But usually, it's because somebody has seen something that kind of makes a little bit of logical sense and mm-hmm. used it as a marketing tool, or used it as a way of getting people to to limit their intake or control their diet yeah mm-hmm. usually the way that they've interpreted the science doesn't actually quite add up so the first one is the age-old favorite of slimming world mashing a banana making it instead of a free food making it now a sin which is to and anyone with any education around food utterly ludicrous 
Mm-hmm. Because if you're eating 100 <laughs> calories of banana, it does not matter whether it is mashed or whole. It's still 100 calories of banana. Yes. Isn't it? But it comes from... <laughs> Where does it come from? It comes from digestion. So when you mash it, you start to break down the fiber in the food and you release the sugar from the cell wall. So therefore it's more readily available as energy. So this is a completely different conversation because we're not, yes, it's about energy balance, but really it's just about how quickly the energy is used in the body and that's just readily available. So if you eat, if you drink a glass of apple juice, Mm-hmm. then the sugar is readily available to be used because it's been released from the cell wall and there's very little fiber in apple juice because it's been processed to take that out whereas if you bite an apple which is one of the top five most satiating foods by the way so satiating means makes you feel fuller for longer apples are one of the top five if you bite an apple the body needs to break down the fiber it needs to release, remove the sugar from the cell wall in order to use it as fuel. And, and the digestive process is much more labor intensive, if you like, for the body than just drinking a glass of apple juice. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why you would say, yeah, you you know, you can have maybe a couple of apples a day. You don't, why you, why you would have two apples a day, I don't know. Yeah, you wouldn't much. And I think that's... That's but you could and easily have two glasses of apple juice a day. Apple juice, easy. Just and I think that's where consume. you've got to think, like, what is the goal? Because oh, yeah. if, you, if you literally need to get some sugar in your body, drink the apple juice. Yes. Because it's going to be a great way to get that energy release really quickly. In some circumstances, you need that. Yeah. But if it's to get more fiber, eat or the apple. Or to feel full, eat the apple. Or to feel full, eat the apple. And yeah. if you add a little bit of peanut butter onto it, it might feel just a little bit tastier. Just a handy tip. <laughs> oh, You're obsessed with peanut butter. I am obsessed with peanut butter. It's I've got life. to say, I, I abs- I'm a huge apple juice fan. I am. Love it. Huge. And when if I'm running a marathon, that is my, I will have that halfway through and I'll be dreaming about it at the end. Oh, see, I, that's my go-to on a hangover. Oh, okay. So refreshing. Yeah. I don't have them often anymore, but like Mm. two drinks and I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) It's great getting older, isn't it? I know. It's amazing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's that's, it. That's probably the daftest thing that is out there in. I'm going to go on a hunt, see if I can find any more. Well, I know you We'd mentioned seed, all day. you mentioned seed oils at the beginning, didn't you? And it's like yeah. at the moment, seed apparently, according to the internet, seed oils are killing everyone. They're the 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 biggest killer in the world. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. But we've all been consuming them for God knows how long. Yeah. yeah. But you can eat the seed that it comes from. Yeah. And that's okay. That's mm. a superfood. Well, there you go. You see, make that makes sense. <laughs> Right. I'm not even going to get into explaining where somebody's come up with that one because I I can't. (laughs) I think we just we could sit here all day, couldn't we? Right. Um, I think that that is probably enough from us both. We've yeah, could go on for a while, but we've covered what we wanted to. We have. I think, and I think the ultimate end message, end goal, the the encompassing message that we're trying to get across here is that 
it's really unhelpful to talk to yourself in a negative way about food there is no such thing as good and bad food guilt and shame is unhelpful in trying to achieve your goals and a balanced approach to fat loss or weight gain or whatever else you're trying to do with your diet is always going to give you the best results absolutely and if you are on our social media we are always available to have a chat so you can slide into the dms if you need to and just have a little conversation with us i'm sure that we can try to help or if we can't we can find somebody that will um next week we are talking about the menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. um training with it and how to eat for it should you be eating for your menstrual cycle and what are the uses of it yes cravings and massive cravings how to manage them and how they change as they get older Mm. um so we look forward to speaking to you then thanks for listening thank you bye bye